What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We normally drop these in between our full episodes, and those of you who've been with us for a while know that our full episodes are chock full of super dope guests, super dope headlines, and a whole lot of stuff, and they are video format primarily, and it takes a while to edit that. So in between those, we drop these passing periods where it's just Jeff and myself, Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and you might be wondering why we've had several passing periods in a row now, and there's a lot of reasons. Um, Number one reason being that we are wrapping up the school year and there's a lot going on school-related, work-related, personal life-related, and it's just been a minute since we've had time to uh, have our super dope guests join the show. So bear with us as we march on into what is hopefully going to be a successful conclusion to the school year for everybody out there. And uh, then we'll get back on our regular routine of having our super dope guests on. And Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, your last day of school, at least for the district that you work most closely with, is coming up soon. And my district, we had our last day of school like two days ago, something like that. So we are here. But I'm not going to gloat about it because I know a lot of folks who listen to the show work in areas and work in districts where their last day of school is still weeks away, unfortunately. So I'm I'm not going to gloat about it. I'm just going to ask you, Jeff, how are you feeling going into this very last week of um, at least students being on campus? Yeah, uh, we, this is the last week uh, for the Los Angeles Unified School District. Uh, but as a year-round employee... It's just another week. <laughs> That's why you get the big bucks, man. You get the big bucks. Just another week. Uh, it is um, It is also definitely not just another week because this week is chock full of graduations and culminations and kindergartners in robes and eighth graders in robes and 12th graders in robes and 11th graders looking up to the 12th graders and envisioning themselves next year and inspirational speeches and... Crying grandparents and parents and all that stuff. So um, it is, uh, you know, in many ways the best week of the year. But also, man, the end of the school year is just nutty for uh, for all of my, in particular, my administrator colleagues out there. Um, you know, there's just so many events and things and, you know, uh, deadlines and people asking you to do different stuff. So... I have I have great empathy for my my principals and my APs out there, especially since right now I am one of those people who is asking them to do stuff, and I feel mildly guilty about it. But also, <laughs> it's the nature of the job, man. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I heard yep. that. But coming up coming up on the end, uh, it's it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And later on this episode, we'll we'll talk about some reflections on the end of the school year and looking back on it and. Some of the some of the stories out there about just how bad the school year was for folks. So we'll talk about that in in a little bit. But um, Jeff, you know, we had our graduation ceremony for our seniors. I think this past Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday night, and great ceremony. Great seeing you know folks celebrate in person again for for graduation. And our valedictorian, she she's going to Harvard next uh, fall. So that was super dope. And you know, a lot of a lot of just. A lot of smiles, a lot of uh, heartfelt goodbyes for for a lot of folks. And sometimes when I talk to somebody who is having a, I guess, difficult time accepting that, like, you know, one phase of life is is coming to a close and the next phase phase is coming. Or sometimes when I talk to folks, you know, around my own age who are 
feeling um, like, you know, again, old and, and, and sadness around that. I try to remind folks that like, it's really a blessing to grow old and it's really a blessing to, to be able to look back and, and say, you know, I made it and yeah, the, the next step might be scary, but, um, but I'm here. Cause a lot of folks, they just don't, they, they, they just don't have the opportunity to, to grow old or to celebrate something like a high school graduation. And, you know, we'd be remiss if we did not spend some time today talking about the massacre in Uvalde and, it's been 10 days, and it, in some ways it feels like it's been a lot more than just 10 days uh, because of a variety of reasons. For one, just how devastating, how devastating that shooting was, um, but also just how maybe shocking, maybe not shocking, depending on your, your view of things, um, the details are about the response and, and what could have happened that didn't happen, and then seeing what states and politicians and folks were saying might be the, the appropriate way to, to quote unquote secure our schools. And, and there's just so much going on that it, it almost feels like just a blur, especially with the, the school year wrapping up for a lot of folks. But um, yeah, Jeff, I thought maybe, or we thought maybe we should discuss some of the responses to this, this um, very, very tragic incident and the ramifications for, for those of us who work in schools and, and um, support schools and just thinking ahead to the sad inevitability that this will not likely be the last school shooting. So where should we begin with that discussion, Jeff? Well, Manuel, I was thinking we should begin with uh, really a person who is... Uh, just a just a shining moral temple of purity and uh, wisdom uh, on this conversation, and that is the um, the I believe senior senator from the great state of Texas, uh, the man who is who has now presided over how many mass shootings in his ridiculous state, uh, the great senator Ted Cruz. Uh, Lion Ted, I think is uh, maybe what he was he was once called. Um, yeah, who uh, <laughs> who had just a brilliant policy solution for us, Manuel. Which if we just adopted, I'm sure would you know would be fine. Which is we need to harden our schools, and we do so by having one point of entry and exit on every school campus in America, Manuel. Just one, and then we put just a just like a a. I was about to say a brigade. Is that the right term? Uh, a whole bunch of uh, armed police officers, like a SWAT team at the front door, right? Probably some bulletproof glass, uh, you know, maybe some countermeasures, some smoke bombs and loud sirens and, you know, maybe a, a fire hose they can spray. We, we, um, we just fortify the point of entry, you know, like we do, say, on a base in uh, a country we're trying to colonize. Uh, and that will solve the problem. You forgot Manuel. the guard towers, and I'm thinking we probably need right. bars on the windows to make sure nobody can get yep. in through the window, and if possible, I mean, barbed wire is an effective tool to keep folks from going over gates and fences, and... Yeah, yep. You know, just to make sure we can right. identify who are the students and who's not, I think maybe the students wear 
maybe something like a jumpsuit, maybe something in a, a bright color so that you could quickly orange, identify. Maybe bright orange, orange does stand yeah. out. It it certainly stands out, and yeah. you know, very closely supervised outdoor time. Just you know, just in case, because you know the outdoors are dangerous. So maybe you know, just only a short bit of the day where they are, you know, on a yard or something like that. Um, yeah, that might that might yep. solve it because nothing violent ever happens in or around places that are set up like that. No, 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 no. Those places are practically utopian. Yes, indeed. Uh, when when you think about it. So, um, so honestly, now that we've solved this issue, man, well, maybe uh, this episode's done. Yeah, so I think it's time for me to go ahead and brag about being done with the school year. So last day of school. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So in all seriousness, um, you know, what happened in... Uvalde, Texas is it's horrific, right? And uh, we've had other horrific things since then. But um, honestly, as I was thinking about it, man, well, I couldn't remember. And this is how tragic it is that we have so many of these things. I couldn't remember if we've had a, a killing of this extent at an elementary school in a while. Because we've had, you know, those Marjorie Stoneman Douglases, and we've had the, like, shootings in other places, right? Las Vegas and Buffalo and, you know, um, El Paso and, all, you know. Right. We've had the American barrage of mass violence that we pretend it uh, has nothing to do with guns. But uh, there is something about an elementary school that just hits in an even deeper way for right. me personally because I think it's because, like, they're so innocent, right? Yeah. Um, in a way that's, like, it, that's unquestionable. And, uh, and you know, elementary school, like, school should be safe no matter what, right? But elementary school should be, like, especially safe, Right. Like right. kids aren't in their petty teenage years yet, you know, for the for the interpersonal conflict stuff like, you know, we practice being nice and sharing in kindergarten and, you know, and like and we still want hugs from our parents every day. And, you know, like it's it's, a, it's such a time of innocence in that regard. And uh, to see this sort of sacred place violated in that way. It's just, you know, it's hard to find words, I think, to, you know, to really capture it. Um, and it's so deeply frustrating because we have the, the just such a uh, void, a vacuum of leadership in this country uh, where really we have folks who have condemned our people to death and don't care, you know. And, you know, I'm not in Ted Cruz's mind and heart but I tell you what, from the policies that we are getting proposed, which are not serious, and the policies that these folks are standing in the way of, which are serious, um, they don't care. You know, there, there's no, there's no morally compelling number of deaths in an elementary school that's going to get them to change, right? So we're right. so we're in a situation where there's a zero percent chance of them coming to the rescue here. Right. Um, even though that's supposed to be their job. Um, and then, of course, we layer on what happened with the police. And I, and I was actually, especially initially, was out on Twitter debating with people uh, that, you know, shortly after this happened, where I was like, look, I understand, like police. I I'm an anti-police person, generally speaking. But uh, 
I also am like, I don't think anyone's job should be to run into a war zone and, and sacrifice their life. So I came at it myself from initially from a position of like empathy for like, I, you know, I, who's, whose job should be to run into a place where a person has a weapon of war and just give themselves up to that? You know, I'm like, I, I don't I, to me, that doesn't seem right either. Now, of course, we've seen a whole lot of details since then. Of course, the cops did what they do best, which is lie and misrepresent the truth uh, about, you know, about what happened, trying to claim that they were the heroes and stuff. Uh, when actually, you know, even when they had overwhelming numbers and additional backup and whatever, still sat outside the building and did nothing and actually turned their violent impulses on the parents who were gathered outside the school trying to get in and rescue their own kids, which is wild. Right. So, um, you know, this this whole thing is about as tragic as the tragedy gets, you know, in this in this country. And um, it's just. uh it's it's hard looking at this situation. I think, man, well, to not feel like uh, a, a sense of uh, helplessness, um, kind of overwhelm when you when you think like like I did after Newtown, which is right. like, okay, well, there's no way we're gonna sit by and let this rock. Like elementary school kids getting gunned down for no reason by by uh, people with uh, rifles. Like we're gonna have to do something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't forget that um, also the police, after um, it started to circulate that they did not do um, really anything to, to help the kids, um, they then tried to blame a teacher for um, mm. propping a door open and, and um, the shooter using that door to get in. And then it turned out the teacher actually closed the door uh, behind them. And it, it's too late for that teacher. Unfortunately, that teacher lawyered up and, you know, the, they're going to get the legal support they need. But I, it's too late in the sense that that teacher probably for their entire life is going to be dealing with um all kinds of horrible folks online who are trying to blame that teacher for the whole thing, um, believing that like that teacher actually did prop the door open and that's how the shooter got in. Even though the police lied about that, that's not actually what happened. But that's neither here nor there. I do um, agree with you about the sense of almost hopelessness that becomes overwhelming when you realize that this now is seeming to become just a calculated, acceptable thing for those in power like they they have at this point they have their routine for what happens when something like this occurs the routine is thoughts and prayers at first then it's postponing or canceling any immediate uh, appearances at any nra conference or uh, gun rights events just not showing up and then waiting for it to subside some going out there talking about well the solution actually is we need more security we need more um, armed for folks around this and that, and then just waiting for the new cycle to turn on to the next thing. And the, we've seen this happen now a few times, uh, it, to your point, like it, it's been a while since it's happened at the elementary level. And maybe that's why it, at least to me, feels that this story is, is still being talked about longer than like I expected. Like, unfortunately I was like, you know, this is, this is going to be in the news for a couple of days and then it's going to be on to the next thing. And I kind of feel like that's what happened with the massacre in Buffalo. I kind of feel like that disappeared from the news even before this uh, Uvalde incident happened. And I feel like this cycle is now happened enough times that, OK, this is this is where we're at and it's not going to change anytime soon, even when I, I get how complicated the 
politics are around any sort of uh, gun reform. I get how complicated that that is, but like in really simple cases like this, like this dude waited until he was 18. And right when he was 18, he went and bought this stuff and then he used it right here. Like that just seems obvious to me. Like, why would you let an 18 year old purchase weapons of war and just be able to do whatever the hell they want with it? It just it's just obviously a dumb idea. And you, you see folks posting like, oh, here I am at 18 serving in Iraq and I was able to handle it, this and that. And it's like, yeah, you had weeks and weeks and weeks of training and ongoing training and folks around you like you weren't just handed this thing and told like, OK, go home, do whatever you want. Like, come on now. It's not, it's not a comparison. So cases like this, it, it should be we should be able to at least do the minimum of like, OK, 18 year olds. Nah, they can't. They can't buy these sorts of weapons. They got to wait until at least 21. And when they do so, we got to make sure we do this, that, whatever. Like to me, that's concrete stuff that could happen. But no, instead, we get things like we see out of Ohio, where Ohio, the governor is expected to sign into law a bill that is going to um, allow teachers to be armed and not just armed, but to only need 24 hours of initial training and then just annual checkups, like light training so that I like, okay, I'm a classroom teacher. I can tell you right now, 24 hours of training for firearms in something as complex as a campus, a school where like there's young people running around, there's all these complexities about the the, the building, all sorts of stuff, like 24 hours ain't going to be enough for anybody, especially me, because I have zero training, zero experience with firearms. But if I worked in Ohio, boom, that's all, that's all I would need. And then annual training of eight hours. So that's like a day, like, come on now. I, obviously, we could go on and on about how bad, how bad of an idea that is. I mean, we have seen folks who have tons of training, ongoing training, mess around and fire into someone's back thinking that they're holding a taser, for example, allegedly. Um, we've seen folks, when I say folks, police who have had hours and hours, weeks and weeks, years and years of training go out there and then under the the so-called pressure and fear of the moment, kill an unarmed person and say, the, you know, they fear for their life, this, that, whatever, whatever. Like if these folks who have all of the training make mistakes that often, what's going to happen when a classroom teacher who's juggling everything from obviously lesson plans and curriculum to um, classroom management, so-called students on cell phones, this and that, whatever, to the just the, the chaos of a regular school day, when you put an armed weapon in, in their possession, let alone... If that weapon gets, you know, left behind at their desk or something, whatever, whatever. I mean, there's there's a million and one things that could go wrong. But that's the type of legislation we see um, passing in lieu of actually doing anything about the guns in people's hands. So, yeah, man, this is the cycle that seems to just be what the new normal is uh, year after year. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. uh you know, it's it's one of those times where you think of uh, the the Onion headline from a few years yes. back. It was like uh, another mass shooting happens and nothing can be done. Says the only country in the world where this kind of stuff happens, right? right? And it's it is that is the kind of like uh, mental um, cognitive dissonance we we are living under, right? Which is like people whose agenda involves us dying from incidents of, of mass violence or them not caring about it, not being willing to do anything about it, giving us nonsense talking points and horrible policy ideas like arming teachers and having school feel like prison. 
you know, as, as the solution, right? And I think we are definitely reaching yet another issue in this country where it's time to just like stop taking certain ideas seriously. We take them seriously from the standpoint of they're threatening our safety and well-being, but we don't have to waste our time debating folks who want to talk about how this, you know, nothing needs to be done about guns, access to guns, and access to not only just guns, but what true weapons of war, right? right. Nobody's hunting deer with an AR-15, you know what I mean? No one is uh, in their house and just protecting themselves from home intrusion uh, with an AR-15, or certainly you, you don't need an AR-15 for that, and an AR-15 presents, or a similar style high-powered rifle presents real safety uh, issues even for home protection because those rounds go through multiple walls, right? So even if you shoot and hit someone who's in your house, that bullet can penetrate that person, go through walls and hit a child in a, you know, in a room or in a house next door, right? And so it is not even a weapon that is well suited for that purpose, right? These are combat weapons of war and that's it. And so on some level, I think we just have to like stop wasting our energy with these people who are who are just nuts on this issue. Um, pardon my, you know, yeah. pejorative term there. But like they they don't have serious ideas that are about that are grounded in, in any kind of like moral belief in valuing life and protecting life, um, right. which is ironic because these are also the people who call themselves pro-life. <laughs> Man, well. And, and want, uh, you know, t t uh, two-week waiting periods uh, for reproductive health care uh, in Texas at the same time as you got your, your boy, 18, getting getting a handful of AR-15s and thousands of rounds, you know, yeah. as a birthday present, right? So, so yeah, yeah man, I, I guess on, to close out on this issue, I would just say, you know, as, as empty as these words probably sound, but my, you know, thoughts and, and well wishes and... Um, you know, feelings of uh, hopefully some healing can come to the, the families and the community in, um, you know, in Uvalde and the folks at Robb Elementary School, because I, I can't even imagine the, you know, the horror and level of trauma that, that they are experiencing in this situation right now. And so, you yeah. know, uh, I just, uh, I send my best to them and, and, um, I hope that, that we will rise up collectively and make this the last uh, community that has to experience this kind of thing. Yeah. Irma Garcia and Eva Morales, the two teachers, reaching the end of the school year. I believe that it was the last day or second to last day of school. And uh, by all accounts, two wonderful, wonderful, wonderful educators um, who love their students so much. And yeah, just... Um, no words for that. No words for that. So, yeah, um, you know, as a classroom teacher, we've done the lockdown drills in my classroom a million times. And it just gets to a point where it's like, you know, hardly even noticeable anymore. It's become so normalized. And uh, many of my students didn't really have much to say about about what happened in Uvalde. At least, you know, it was just like a, almost like a normal school day afterwards, except for, you know, a few students who um, who asked me if we could you know, get to school to do a moment of silence or do something. But other than that, it just wasn't on people's radars. And that's the really, 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 like the hopelessness that I feel around this issue, um, I think is reflective of 
how young people to them, that's, this is how it's always been like for their lifetime. It's always been this and, you know, you just got to move on. It's just, uh, um, we can't, we just cannot just move on. But, um, Jeff, uh, aside from that, so we are wrapping up our school year here and, if we were to list all the things that happened during the school year, all of the um, challenges that, that we faced and just all the complexities of the school year, I think that list would be a, a almost infinite list. And folks, you could go back to previous episodes of uh, Passing Period or our full All of the Above episodes and um, catch up on all the wildness of the school year. Um, but Jeff, I got to say for just speaking, literally just speaking for myself, the school year was challenging, but it it was, I really, really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed the mm. time I spent with my students. Like the interactions in my classroom were just really, really joyful. Like we had, it's especially in my ethnic studies classes, like we, I really, really enjoyed it. It was kind of sad to, um, to pack up the classroom, well, not really pack it up, but just, you know, um, end of the year stuff. And, you know, think about like, wow, we, we really overcame so much the school year. And, now everyone's off off into summer break. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I do not have the feeling that so many other folks have about like, it was so terrible. I'm leaving teaching. I definitely acknowledge that it was that terrible for a lot of folks. And that story, that sort of, I don't want to call it a narrative because that seems almost pejorative at this point uh, to call something a narrative is, is is just has different connotations nowadays. But the, the ongoing storyline of educators having such a hard time this year that they are leaving the profession. This uh, recent story in, in EdSource sort of like captures that idea. So maybe we could talk about that for a little bit before we get out of here. Yeah, man. So um, I got to say, because uh, this the author of this story, uh, Diana Lambert, uh, we have cited numerous articles from her right. uh, over the over the years here on All the Above. So I got to give a shout out to Diana Lambert. I will say in this particular instance, I think we're going to we're going to have a bit of an issue with the, <laughs> just the, <laughs> the nature of the framing of the story. It's a little clickbaity. It's a little less nuanced than it probably should be. Um, and, you know, maybe just sort of feeding into that narrative of like, oh, my God, everything's falling apart in the schools. And, you know, the kids, these bad kids are, are being bad because they're bad. Uh, and look how school has failed because the bad kids are bad. So, you know, the, the headline, COVID challenges, bad student behavior, push teachers to limit out the door, right? Thousands of California teachers quit mid-year. Okay, so look, let's be real. The pandemic's been real hard uh, on school and on pretty much everyone in every aspect of society, unless you're a billionaire, in which case, congratulations for raping and pillaging. Uh, the rest of us, it's been a hard time. And school is a place where you are concentrating the, uh, the, the emotional, psychological, relational effects of the pandemic because you're taking lots of people from lots of different homes, often from the communities that have been most impacted by the pandemic and having them sit in a room, a small room, right next to one another all day long, <laughs> right? And so that is not a, ref the, the fact that we would see manifestations of the symptoms of the trauma that we have experienced collectively and individually over the last few years, the fact that we would see those symptoms manifest with greater frequency now is one, entirely predictable. Right. And two, 
is a totally different thing than these kids are bad and these bad kids are bad and they're so bad we have to do something about the bad kids and look at the failing schools with the bad kids, right? Like that's not the story here, okay? And honestly, what I hear, Manuel, both from what I see and, and hear from talking to folks in education and also, honestly, one of the stories we talked about um, in our recent, um, our recent uh, keynote where we cited the uh, national survey from, uh, from Educators for Excellence that talked about 86% of educators still saying they want to remain a career teacher, right? Um, even though we are currently seeing a greater than normal set of like early retirements uh, from folks in the profession in particular. So it is our job, I think, to see with nuance these data points together, right? Most educators, the overwhelming majority, are saying, yeah, I still love the job. I still want to be in this profession. Um, and we are also seeing people saying, hey, this is taking a real toll. And if I have some flexibility, I may, now might be the time for me to like say I need to step back, right? Um, right. And the behaviors that we are seeing from students um, are more often than not Mani clear manifestations of the suffering that students have had to experience, right? So we're, we're, I'm, what I'm seeing and hearing is bigger jumps in things like suicidal ideation, uh, self-harm, you know, cutting kind of stuff. Um, there's been more fights uh, at school. Not massive numbers, but certainly more. I mean, most of the schools I work with have virtually no fights uh, right, in most right. school years, right? And the fights they have are like small and not a huge deal, right? Um, whereas this year there's been more um, escalation of, of physical fights um, on some campuses, right? And, uh, but we're talking, I mean, honestly, we're talking about like, well, last year we had zero fights and this year we've had five fights, right? So like, we're not, we're yeah. not talking about <laughs> hundreds of fights or, you know, people going to the hospital, you know, with injuries and things, right? Um, now, this doesn't mean it's not a big deal, but this just means like what we are seeing is the anxiety, the depression, the sense of disconnectedness, the lack of feeling of uh, close relationships with, you know, with peers, the lack of feeling attachment to a school community that you were disconnected from for multiple years, or you're now a 10th grader and the last time you were really in school was eighth grade. And so you're like a weird sophomore in this school that you don't even hardly know because you like missed your freshman year and your sophomore year was all disrupted with stuff. You know, like this is what we're dealing with. And so the, I think we just have to be very careful and I wish Diana Lambert and the folks at EdSource had perhaps done a more nuanced job in this particular story and headline of yeah. saying, you know, Yes, there is some data that we should be concerned about, about what we're seeing from students and educators in response. And it's not like the schools are failing, all the bad schools, everything is awful, the kids are bad, look at the bad kids, and they just happen to be mostly black and brown, and they're genetically defective because their parents don't care about education. Like, all the negative you know, narrative that gets lumped onto schools, and especially schools like ours... I'm not here for it, man. We got to have a nuanced conversation that also talks about the ways in which our society has failed these communities and put them when they were already on the margins, you know, further yeah. at risk because of the ways we we allowed COVID to ravage um, our communities. And so, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyways. See, what? No, seriously, man. Like this, the, I, I get it. I get it. Like this has been very hard. And like you just said, like we really, really, really need to t pay attention to how areas that were already, mar already marginalized, already underserved, already historically silenced, uh, faced even tougher conditions during COVID and none of that has been rectified. And we can't just go back into the school year and just assume like everything's going to be fine. So an uh, article like this, it's really upsetting to me because yes, I know definitely there have been folks who left teaching who maybe wouldn't have left teaching um, or didn't plan to leave teaching, but they've left because it was such a hard year for them. And I, I don't want to at all like disregard the the value and the honesty of their voice when they say, my classroom, my school, everything was out of control and I had to bounce. Like I get it, bounce if you have to bounce. And I know there's folks who are AOTA family who've listened to us all these years and for whom this was maybe the last year in the classroom or last year working in schools because uh, of the challenges that were present there. But I feel like there's real danger in focusing so much on that and not really giving credit where credit is due to the fact that despite overwhelming, overwhelming challenges in front of us, we got through a school year, I'm thinking about my own classroom, thinking about my own school, really. We made it through a school year where despite multiple students being pushed into uh, homelessness this year that I've had on my rosters, multiple, multiple students dealing with the uh, mental health challenges that are sometimes in some cases connected to the pandemic and other cases not. Despite all of the calamity of Omicron and so many folks getting uh, catching COVID in, in January and February, which this article doesn't, it doesn't even mention January and February and just how many folks were out, how short we were on subs, how just all that, it doesn't even mention it. Despite all of that, like, yo, I was at a graduation ceremony for my school on Wednesday where folks were clapping, cheering, embracing, celebrating going off to college, celebrating our valedictorian going to Harvard, others going to all kinds of other great schools, others taking the time to go ahead and work and do whatever they got to do. Families were cheering and everybody was just so proud. And that to me is miraculous given just how much calamity is happening around the world COVID and not COVID related, like from school shootings to the politics to when I say the politics, I mean the right wing white supremacist attacks on um, our, our bodies, on our lives, on our uh, livelihoods to just everything we still managed as a school system and as a school site in my case to really come back together in person, learn a lot, grow a lot. And I just think every story that comes out about how many teachers are fleeing and how crazy and how hard the school year was just does not give us credit for doing all that we did and accomplishing what we accomplished. Um, I just, I, I really, I look at the comments under this story and I know you're not supposed to read the comments because that's just like the worst thing to do in most cases, but it's just like comment after comment about the, the lawlessness, the California laws and policies are incentivizing lawlessness, not only in classrooms, but in our neighborhoods. Um, I saw a video I was taking at one school where a, a student hit an employee and this and that. And it's just all this like, this is all feeding into that public schools are a disaster narrative. And that is, is for one, it's simply not true. It's not true. Public schools are not a disaster. I think we could probably look at whatever measures of um, data that, whatever data points that you want to look at over the course of the last 20 years and whatever's happening now. Yeah, cell phones are annoying. Yeah, there's some fights in school. There's always been fights in school. My most hectic school year was my very first school year. I broke up so many fights on campus and that was a what was considered to be a pretty good school, quote unquote. 
I broke up so many fights. There's all kinds of calamity. And that's just part of working with young people. Like that's just, it's just, it's just, it's just how it is. And to point to every little thing now and say, look, this is a uh, proof of a disaster. This is proof of school system falling apart. It's just uh, not, not conducive. It's not helpful. Shout out to every educator out there who, despite the odds, despite the challenges, you did what you could do and you helped students reintegrate into some sort of semblance of in-person learning. And shout out to you because I feel like we are not getting the credit that we should be getting. And every bit of focus that we give on just how many teachers are quote unquote fleeing the profession, that we're just adding fuel to the idea that like young people are terrible. I mean, it's in the headline. In the headline, it says COVID challenges, bad student behavior, push teachers to the limit. Like, are we really going to sit back and start blaming students and saying these bad students that don't throw their cell phones, this and that? Like, I handed back a cell phone to a student um, in one of my classes and just in the 80 minute period that we have on our block schedule, handed back their phone and there were like 56 notifications on their freaking phone that happened just during the time that I had it. And it wasn't like text messages. It was Twitch notifications. It was TikTok notifications. It was some game. It was all this stuff. And I point that out to say, these things are designed to become addictive. They are designed to make it so that a student cannot go two or three seconds without remembering that, oh, this thing's happening on this app and this is happening on that app. Like they are designed with that intention. So if we sit back and get mad at students for being on their phones and not get mad at Silicon Valley for designing something that is so overwhelmingly compelling for them that they can't even manage their own use of it. Like, come on now, man, just get out of here. I'm rambling now. I'll just stop. I'm happy. It's the end of the school year. This was a tough year, but shout out to all the educators and all the parents out there, all the guardians, all the caregivers, all the mental health providers. Shout out to the wellness center on my campus for helping several of my students through really, really, really tough, tough moments. Thank you to everybody who has been part of trying to build and sustain and support a positive school environment for our young people who need it so much. So I'll just end with that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I really appreciate those words, Manuel. And I, I, you, as you were talking, it was making me think of a book uh, from a few years back, um, maybe like five, six years ago, uh, by um, Rick Dufour, uh, the late Rick Dufour, who a lot of people might know uh, is most well known for a lot of uh, training, professional development for, uh, for educators around PLC work. And uh, that, that's uh, like professional learning communities, how teacher teams function for anyone who's, uh, who doesn't know that acronym. And uh, his final book was a book called In Praise of American Educators. And it's a, it's a fascinating text. I actually haven't read the whole thing, but um, fascinating text because it outlines, it basically starts with the, with the premise and data supported premise they're like, America's public schools are doing significantly better than they have ever done, right? By almost all the measures, right? The one right. measure where that's probably not the case is standardized test scores, but that's only if you consider the absolute comparison, right? The, the context right. around this is that we used to only give, you know, the SAT to the most elite students, and of course they did 
better than all the like poor kids we sent to go work in the factories or whatever, right? Um, we have a more diverse linguistically, culturally, et cetera, population than we've ever had. We have a higher uh, high school graduation rate than we uh, have ever had. We have students succeeding at higher levels with a more rigorous curriculum than we have ever had. We still have test score improvement over time, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. um, so even on the tough measures that they externally impose on us as educators, uh, the, the reality and the narrative that should be told here is what an amazing amount of resilience has been shown by educators over these last few years. What a Real. testament to the service they provide to us as a country that hopes to one day be a democracy. Uh, what, what, an, what an amazing amount of resilience they have supported and helped foster among this nation's children at a time when we simply literally in no hyperbole, cast them to the wolves with a pandemic spreading and ravaging communities all around them and offered virtually nothing to them in terms of support. Yep. While countries around the world took much different steps and got better results in many cases than, than we have, right? And why they're going to concerts in Korea right now, and we are, but do only when we want to spread COVID. <laughs> so, like... You know, this is the narrative I think that we should be telling is like this year, you know, 50 years from now, I think we can look back at 2021, 2022 and say, wow, what an amazing, resilient, brilliant group of people who worked in schools and made that happen under some of the toughest circumstances. And the kids who grew up in this generation are not going to be the kids that are the deficient ones, but they're going to be the kids who made it through that stuff. You know, and, and we're yeah. still here <laughs> and still brilliant and still doing creative, wonderful things. Right. And so I hope we also from EdSource and other outlets will start seeing those articles, um, you know, headlines that read things like despite all the challenges, student brilliance shines or whatever, exactly. you know, or whatever right? Like, that's what I want to start hearing about too. We could talk about the exodus and the great resignation and all that. That's cool. But we've had a lot of those pieces. We need some pieces about the resilience and the genius now. Yes. Well stated. See, that's, that you, that's what I was trying to communicate. You put it together much more eloquently than I, than I managed to see. That's why you're a super, du uh, super duper, super dope principal leader, man. And um, yeah, man, we need more of that focus and attention and just acknowledgement of the brilliance and the resilience. Um, so absolutely. And uh, before we get out of here, I want to shout out former guest of all of the above. You know, I was listening, Jeff, I was getting ready for school during this last week of school, uh, six in the morning, listen, listening to my local NPR station, which is uh, KPCC, shout out to KPCC. And I heard a very familiar voice on, KPP, on KPCC. I was like, that dude sounds familiar. It was Terrence, it was my boy Terrence I grew up with, Terrence Keel, Dr. Terrence Keel, who was on episode 57, where we explored how science and science classes and science education um, are or can be an important element of our quest for anti-racism and our quest for racial justice. And he was speaking about the power of the sciences, the hard, quote unquote hard sciences, um, as a way to explore social um, issues and social challenges. Anyways, his voice was on the radio because he was talking about a report that he was the, the uh, what he co-authored. And it is a report about autopsies in LA County jails and just how 
fraudulent, um, my words, not, not his, fraudulent, so many of these autopsies are, uh, basically uh, his biocritical studies lab at UCLA and the carceral ecologies lab also at UCLA, they looked at 59 autopsies of uh, folks who died in correctional facilities. They wanted to look at 200 and something, which is the number that were available, um, but the sheriffs would not give them access to them all. So they only were able to get access to 59 autopsies. And long story short, long story short, um, they found that overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly uh, black and Latinx um, incarcerated folks were who died be, while incarcerated. Um, natural causes were attributed to their deaths, but when you look at the details of the autopsies, you see things such as lacerations, uh, fractured bones, and you see evidence of the fact that it was not a natural cause. And in fact, many of these folks were, according to their own family members, um, beaten to death in some cases by, in some cases, by members of LA Sheriff's uh, deputy gangs. And you could Google LASD gangs if you want to learn more about who they are. But in any case, 75% uh, of these deaths occurred before the person even stood trial. And most of these autopsies found that the quote unquote natural causes were not actually um, what led to the death of the person. And most of these autopsies were conducted with LA Sheriff deputies in the room with the um, actual um, coroner or who does autopsies as a coroners? Um, whatever, with that person. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, fascinating stuff here. Another reminder of the power of science and the power of um well, yeah, the power of science in, in helping push for social change in this case. So we'll link that below. Um, really a bombshell report. I mean, um, it's been picked up by a lot of news outlets. And uh, shout out to AOTA family, former guest, uh, Dr. Terrence Keel, for, for doing this important work of showing just how much um, trauma is happening behind bars that is just going largely, is just largely being swept under the rug by the powers that be. So, yeah. Anything else, Jeff, before we get out of here? No, man. I think uh, we said what we needed to say today. And I uh, just want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, we'll see you next week. Yeah, we will see you next week. One way or another, we are going to continue to keep the all the above content rolling. And uh, we will get back to super dope guests as soon as we are able to. So shout out to all of y'all. Remember, we love y'all. Hang in there. If you have several weeks left of the school year, man, just keep hanging in there and doing your thing because these these students deserve it. And if you are done with the school year or, you know, you don't even teach you um, or work in schools, you just like to listen and learn to all of the above. Um, shout out to you too. We hope you all have a wonderful week ahead and we will catch you next time. But now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs>